appreciate this Ajahn because it does make one feel uh, us, this uh, appreciated in the sense that, uh, of uh, a monastic sangha that, that's uh, working together uh, supporting each other on the, on the journey I think over the years, it, uh, it, one, uh, you know, I, I can see my own uh, attitudes and cultural conditioning is based very much on on a sense, a strong sense of self and the self determination, self motivation. Uh, and then in the monastic life, I strangely come, uh, found myself having to relate in a communal situation, which is quite was quite uh, 
wasn't what I was really expecting to do. So there's this uh, communal situation, this sangha life, uh, has, I think it's exactly what I needed uh, in order to deal with my karma, which would tend to be more of a uh, going off, separating, living alone, uh, or selecting things to suit myself. And of a more exclusive life than I would have chosen to be more exclusive uh, than I can be in this life as a, as a Buddhist monk. The, um, I think the, the intuitive awareness brought me into, drew me into monasticism. It seemed like uh, something I didn't really uh, understand all that well consciously, um, you know, on the level of, of my intellect and what I really identified with as a personality. But yet there's some, some kind of pull into monasticism, Theravada monasticism, because originally I was more interested in the Zen form. I mean, I became interested through Zen Buddhism. <coughs> but the kind of resonating feeling in the heart when I saw Theravada monks in Singapore and things like that, uh, what that was about, uh, one can only speculate, but there's definitely a kind of some kind of uh, intuitive uh, uh, feeling that draws one, in spite of one's own rational habits and and uh, ways of of uh, thinking and and uh, what one what you think you really are. Uh, and, and are convinced that you really are is really you're not really that so the holy life is is an act of faith and and I before I I really understood what faith is I uh, I was very much a kind of uh, critical of as a faith is a kind of put down as a, he's a faith type it was a kind of way of insulting somebody. I mean, they're kind of stupid and they just kind of believe in things. Uh, so, the faith type, and, and I was definitely saw myself as the panya type, you know, the one that used wisdom. I wasn't just going to believe and, and go along with things and and uh, just because somebody said so. Though so there was this tendency to... to uh, regard faith almost as a, as a weakness. But in the uh, teachings of the Lord Buddha, and, and when you study like the five indriya, you become aware of the kind of balancing act that takes place between uh, panya and sadha, faith and wisdom. Now it seems like they, they, they kind of merge after all these years in, where where wisdom is and, and faith is uh, you know not so they're not so kind of like separate or or one is it's like this the other's like that 
But in terms of language, you have to, you, you know, language is a divisive, discriminative function of the mind. So you, you emphasize maybe this over that. But in level of experience, direct experience, it's, it's not like that. You don't do this and then do that. It's the present moment, which is, which through the intuitive awareness you, you tune into. You, you open yourself to the experience in the present. Trying to figure out Dhamma, just, uh, you know, enjoying the, the logic, the kind of intellectual side of Buddhism, uh, I, I, I enjoyed for a long time, just because it made so much sense and appealed to my intellect. Uh, so it, it had a kind of pleasing quality. It, it seemed so intelligent and so, so kind of practical, useful. So that was a measure of faith in in the fact that it, I did find it attracted me in that way. You know, it means that I there was enough sadha to to be willing to try it out, to 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 do it, test it out, see if it. If it does work, or if it's just another airy-fairy, highfalutin, philosophical idea that it doesn't work. <clears throat> then I remember ordaining and thinking, I'll spend two years as a monk, and now it's 30, 32 years. <laughs> so, and that, uh, because the uh, one did see the, through the practice the amount of faith increased, and, the, and then they up to 32 years, the, the faith is uh, the sada is is uh, very very powerful because you you see the result of having lived within the limitation of monastic. Discipline for a long time, not just a, a few years, but for 32 years. And then, seeing uh, the the the, pra- the continuous effort it takes to to try to you know, the idea of being mindful, just be mindful, so it makes it all sound so easy. But actually, be mindful all the time. Not easy, is it? It's uh, it's uh, something we're not used to being mindful. We're used to being deluded, and we live in a society where the delusions are perpetuated by all the authority figures and the polit- political figures and so forth. So you've got you know endless kind of uh, uh, ideas, opinions, and views um, that are regarded as reality and and are promoted, exalted in the society. The emotional habits, it's so easy just to slip into one's emotions uh, and believe them because the emotional experience always seems so real. So, you know, it's, it's the heart pounding and the, and the body shaking and the tears flowing and the and the, the strong sense of this is really important. This is this is uh, urgent. This is 
uh, got it's got to, you must, should, and shouldn't, and it shouldn't be like this. And indignation and fear and jealousy and, and all these emotional states are so convincing, so so uh, uh, intimidating that the emotional world is, uh, you know, kind of screams and yells and and uh, it, and it has a high impact on conscious experience. But the continuous kind of willingness to examine, to see the impermanence of these states, the vipassana, where you, where you take in the three characteristics, anicca, dukkha, nathana, and using those characteristics as a way of, of uh, looking at experience. Because uh, the, once you, you see the impermanent nature and the anatta of emotional experience, then it doesn't have the same impact. It doesn't, it can't delude, it can't overwhelm you like it did when you've never examined it, when you're just helplessly kind of caught into it and uh, have no, no reference other than just believing it or trying to uh, suppress it. Again, I emphasize the need to trust yourself uh, well, this uh, this uh, this path of the Buddha is uh, is based on the the uh, on develop on mindfulness and to be mindful. You have to trust in your ability to be mindful. To just uh, and, and mindfulness isn't uh, a kind of refined state. Uh, that you have to attain. It's not an attainment. It's a. It's the simple act of, of of being awake and attentive in the present. That's not like a a high state that you develop through years of of uh, meditation, like a like a nevasanya uh, nasanya yatana, the highest uh, formless uh, jhana. Which is terribly refined and and uh, must take you know a long time to be able to to get that refined. But mindfulness is is something we all can we all use. It's not. Uh, I mean, we'd all be dead by now if we were never mindful. And, and mindfulness is is condition condition sine qua non for to survive in a in this realm, but yet, if we, if we don't, uh, but we don't really, uh, in in our own society, it's never been raised up as a, as something to to really uh, appreciate. Now the Buddha, you know, mindfulness. Uh, The path to the deathless. Mindfulness is the way. But mindfulness is uh, in a society like this one here. Is is uh, usually where when we're rock climbing or skiing or something, driving a car. But in the security uh, 
uh, and the uh, security of a modern society such as here in Britain. You can you can live a very selfish, heedless uh, life and survive, because the society will it carries people in it. It doesn't demand awakenness as a part of the of our culture, is it? it doesn't doesn't make any demand that we wake up, that we pay attention. It will carry us along just in our most heedless and selfish and stupid ways. We can survive in this in the in a modern democratic system like here. So that the mindfulness uh, and you can you can you can just ride along in sangha life, you know, being heedless too. Because it's not like, you know, uh, the, the, you can see it in Buddhist countries like Thailand, for example, where there's so many monks who just, you know, kind of float along in the system till they die and they never really develop. And yet they're, you know, in a, in a, in a religion that says, wake up, you know, pay attention. They're in maybe a, if they're ordained bhikkhus and they're in a in a a form, this is this whole purpose is to develop mindfulness through the restraint and the uh, uh, of monastic life. So this mindfulness is something that you have you have to you, you have to wake up. It's not somebody can't make you be mindful. It's like saying, if I yell at you, wake up, then you think, he's, he, there he is patronizing me again, that old man up there telling me what to do. <laughs> so if, uh, so it's not, uh, you, people get, get the wrong impression. They, you know, if you start yelling at people, wake up, and then they think you, you're, you're browbeating them or ordering them about. It's not a matter of, of telling or ordering, once you once you take on the practice, and it's 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 up to you whether you wake up or not. That's your business. And waking up doesn't mean just keeping your eyes open and going through the motions of not just sleeping in your bed, because we can you know when they talk about heedlessness. It's like you're going around in a daze, you know, with all your views and opinions and your attachments and your fears and desires, and you you're just caught in a in a whole deluded state that is not awake. And you just the the you know as you get older, you get very conditioned into into and into the uh, habits that you acquired when you're young, and they just get reinforced as you get older. Have you noticed, like, people who are older, how, you know, even if you're 60 years old, you can still have emotional reactions like a child. Sometimes, you know, on an emotional level, is you get stuck in childish, in childish uh, habits. For example, when my, my father, at the age of 90, in the last decade of his life, where he, you know, an old man that had 
had, you know, at one time been very dignified, man, a mature man that seemed to be in control of life. Suddenly, when he when he was no longer had that sense of being controlled and just helpless, uh, then then all kinds of childish emotions started coming up, throwing temper tantrums, feeling sorry for himself, pouting. You know, a 90-year-old man pouting if he couldn't get his way. And he, this is what you do as a child. Isn't it? You pout and you kind of scream and blame people. So in... In, in, you know, in terms of awakeness, then awakeness doesn't mean that we we don't have these emotions. But in the awakened state, when we're mindful, we're aware when the, these emotions are what? anicca dukkanata. We're not we're not projecting anicca dukkanata onto experience, but those are mere suggestions, ways of looking at experience. We're not we're not just you know, we're going to say everything's in Nietzsche Dukkanata and then just use it as a kind of pro intellectual projection onto experience. That's not Vipassana at all. But Vipassana is taking those three characteristics and examining experience in terms of its flux, its, its fluidity, its changingness. When you look at your emotional experience in terms of changing, what is it? It's different, isn't it? Because you're suddenly, you're not trying to, you're not judging it, you're not, you're not making value judgments about your emotions, or you're not believing it, you're not uh, trying to deny it or get rid of it, but you're, you're, you're accepting what you're feeling, but you're looking at it in terms of what it really is, because it's changing, emotional experiences, is ephemeral when you really look at it. And once you really look at and accept it for what it is, it has no, there's nothing solid or, uh, or even seemingly permanent about emotions. They, they're just very, you know, very, they're anicca, definitely, very impermanent changing, ephemeral conditions that one is, one is aware of in the present. That, that, then, you're, then you're really seen for what it is. You're seen in terms of Dhamma rather than judging it on a personal level. Like if, when you, as soon as you judge it on a personal level, then it becomes, oh, I'm angry and, and, uh, and I shouldn't be angry or... I'm angry because you 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 uh, did something that you shouldn't have, and, I, and I'm angry because of you. Or I'm angry because uh, I've got a problem with anger. It's my problem. Then, it, then it all becomes uh, highly personal, and then you have to go to you know you go through therapy and try to work out all the reasons and and about it and. Uh, and become interested in in yourself as a person, but in in terms of dhamma, uh, we're not we're not we're not just dis, we're not dismissing or denying or 
repressing, but totally accepting the experience. How do you totally accept emotional experience? And then the mindfulness is this intuitive awareness is ability to they let things be what they are in the present because experience is always here and now. All experience is now. You don't, you know, it's just so obvious. Tomorrow is is. Uh, is is uh, is uh, is the unknown, isn't it? The past is a memory. Now is the knowing. Now is where you're experiencing. So you're experiencing whatever pleasure, pain, anger, fear, uh, love, hate. Now, boredom, excitement, high and low. Now. So into intuitive awareness, they translate sati sampachanya, and, and like the word intuition. Before I remember, it's a, a, a word that means some kind of vague ability to, you know, oftentimes you have women's intuition you connected it with women, and they kind of like women guess at things or something, they pick up feelings or something. And in the, you remember seeing intuition as something you just didn't trust. You know, women did it, and that that made it, you know, didn't seem something to rely upon. Maybe it was all wrong, you know. But in in now, and I use that word. I I really understand. You know, I, I use it because it's a word that means something in terms of experience. What I use the word intuition, the ability to pay attention and to be in a state where the present moment is being experienced for what it is. But that that includes both, you know, the external environment as it impinges or the internal habits that you're experiencing. So it's a Intuition is is an embracing, and it 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 includes everything in the present. So they right now when we're when we're using intuition or mindfulness, sati sampatanya, then we can we can use language in terms of a feeling is like this. What do, what do I feel right now? What is my, the mood of my mind? So that I'm I'm not trying to. It's not it's not like thinking about what what I should be feeling or or, or that. But it's it's just using um, the language to to kind of observe what's present right now in terms of mood or just what the body feels like or the the kind of environmental <clears throat> the atmosphere that we're in and just because the the present moment is is it, everything is accepted in it they're just beginning to notice 
what it is as experience in the present is like this. So it's a, a kind of listening, an awakened state of listening. We're not trying to figure out whether this moment, is what I'm feeling or thinking or the situation is right, wrong, good, bad, uh, whatever, and it's not judging it. And, uh, you know, criticizing or, uh, but just observing. The state of pure, attentive, like listening. Ye soda wanta, the soda, soda wanta. Like when you listen, isn't it? Your, your mind is, is, is open. When whatever is happening, then you're you're quite open to it. You're with it, and but and listening can be applied both externally to things that sounds external or internally. You can listen to yourself. You can kind of pick up as you kind of really pay attention to to maybe little feelings or 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 anxieties or little negative. Feelings that you, you're just not aware of if you're just, you know, getting caught up in your own emotional habits and thoughts. So this intuitive awareness is, is not something that's, that is uh, developed in humanity very strongly, isn't it? We've definitely programmed for reason and logic, for intellectual uh, obsessions, you know, ideas, and, and then the logic that comes from thinking, and right and wrong, and good and bad, and, and uh, we're, we're very good at, at criticizing, fault-finding, noticing what's wrong. With ourselves, or with somebody else, or with the place we're in, or the country, the society we live in, or the planet, whatever. The, we, we, you know, we we easily shift into noticing what we don't like, what we don't want, what annoys us, what shouldn't be. And that's the. The, the way the, the, the emotions, you know, you read the news or hear the news on the radio, so, you know, so much of it is, is the endless problems of, of, the, of the society, of the political system, of the economy, of the personal, family, individual, racial uh, problems, ethnic, Minorities and yeah, it goes on endlessly. The the problem, the what's wrong with this and that, and then the blaming. And the, the, so many books out, you know, kind of examining who's to blame: the British colonial system, or the or the Americans, or the communists. Or, but as you 
uh, intuit, use intuition more than you're aware. That basically, when your mind is is to- totally kind of turned toward conditions, there's always this level of of disease. And I've noticed in in uh, through meditation for th- 30 years that when the mind's quite empty, but it's still turn toward the conditioned realm it's still looking and and facing the conditions there's always this level of a, a subtle kind of sense of something's wrong something there's a slight agitation like it's not like a uh, a big thing but but you can see that conditions are basically are in that are dukkha all of them, you know, and not as a put down of condition, but that's their nature. This, this, this changingness, this, this movement, and it's always from birth to death, from beginning to ending, from arising to ceasing. So, there's, uh, as long as one is identified and and uh, attached to the conditioned realm, then there's always something wrong with. There's always this feeling of something wrong with it. Even at its best, isn't it? even at life at its best, where everything seems right and everything you're getting everything you want, there's still something wrong with it. And so, that and so you contemplate that the conditioned realm is is uh, is like that. It's a nietzsche. It's dukkha. So then realizing the unconditioned, that's intuitive realization in terms of now, not, not, not as a an atta- personal attainment or as some high state, but uh, as, you, as you really uh, open, pay attention to experience in the present, then, then this insight, realization, of Nibbana or Niroda, non-attachment to the conditioned realm. And then it's budget done. You have to realize it for yourself. It's not a, not a, not given to us by external forces, but it's, it's a, but through our own attentiveness and awakenness. So this awakenness is, is like it's so easy to shift back into into like wandering mind or or it's so easy to make the problems of a monastery into the kind of important things of our life. You know, uh, Amravati and Chithurst and and the relationships we have and and the problems of, that we have here, and and uh, what we're going to build, what we should do next, and and uh, who we like and don't like, and and all this becomes so. Uh, these worldly things become uh, e- easily uh, capture our attention, and they are, and they and they do have a sense of being terribly important. 
And the idea of the mystic kind of just denying it all. It's totally the world. I want nothing more to do with it. And then you go off into the unconditioned. And just, you know, you don't care what happens. I'm about to eat. <laughs> Uh, that's the thinking mind, isn't it? It sees, it d- divides everything into, well, either you, you know, you, you have to take an interest in the world and you, you know, you've got to live in the society. You can't just kind of live, you know, in a mystical state of oneness and, and, and not be responsible for your life, you know, in, in the society. Or they go to the other, you know, just, it's all a delusion, and uh, and and uh, opt out by just uh, ignoring it all through some belief that you're 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 living in in the with in the unconditioned realm. But in terms of experience, isn't it? It's, it's like the Buddha really emphasized the noting of the way it is. It's not. Like, like the experience of consciousness, a physical body in, uh, that's conscious, a sense world that impinges on it, and the the, the mental formations we've acquired, uh, the memories and emotional habits that that we experience, uh, whether they're right or wrong or true or false, but it's not the issue. But the the uh, the the uh, Intuitive awareness allows us to see and and use the karmic uh, habits we've acquired in a way that that they all are. If used with mindfulness, wisdom, then they're all. Then there's this this perfect uh, relationship of the conditioned with the unconditioned. That's so not a matter of of uh, just dismissing the world is I'm not going to waste my time with that it's all a delusion because that's a viewpoint that we can attach to that is that is not it's not mindfulness is it we're just attached to to that view so we're getting beyond our, this view and and attachment to views towards a kind of simple a very simple trust in the state of just attentiveness. Just the listening, attention in the present. So I, well, what is that really? You know, is it like... Just to be in that state of awakened awareness now. And it's so simple and ordinary. It's not... It's not like a great, uh, you know, I've attained this after 30 years of practice. It's quite ordinary. But it's ordinary, it's usually not noticed as being anything important. Then your, your, your mind is in a, in a receptive, attentive state, it's receptive. And you're and then you're using the panya or the wisdom teachings of the Buddha to to examine experience, not to kind of impose Buddhist jargon on you know exchange your own kind of way of thinking and 
and get a kind of Buddhist jargon that you adopt. And that's not it. It's not not just uh, you know using Pali terms and 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 trying to become a Buddhist. That is the way. But it the the you know the, like the four noble truths and these kind of teachings are teachings to help you look at something, not adopt a position. So the first noble truth of suffering is, is about something that's so another ordinary experience that we all have is su- we all suffer. So it's awakening. Looking at suffering in in an intuitive way, it's recognized suffering is like this. It's not judging, but it's it's noticing. This feeling of agitation or disease is it's like this. Then you realize how you know what an unpleasant uh, thing that is. If you if you don't notice it, it's still there's this. The underlying sense of anxiety or worry that that kind of haunts the human mind, isn't it? What if everything goes wrong? What if I, you know, is it, is, you, you see it in, in everywhere. This, this this angst of the human the human being, you know, the sadness, the the uh, the worry that seems to you know you know we try to get away from it by through distracting the mind into say entertainments or things but it, it it it's still there underlying our experience till we begin to really see it know it you know, it's like understanding suffering the causes of suffering the a grasping of desire. So using these Four Noble Truths is awakening ourselves to the way things are to, to, um, and using those as, as wisdom teachings to be able to look at our experience. Third Noble Truth, realization of cessation. You know, that's... That's... Um, Something that's never expected or taught in the in in our society. It's just totally mind-boggling at first. Realization cessation. When I first read it, what is that? Realization of cessation. You know, it sounded like one of those. You know, you you studied philosophy in university. It sounds like some idea that might be interesting to investigate. Uh, intellectually, but in in terms of of intuitive awareness now, what is it? And it, just taking that as a way of of looking at at how things, you know, as you like say with emotional experience, as you re- recognize your, your what you're feeling, you're aware of it. Is changing the moment, the emotion experience in the present is. You're looking at it for what it is because it's changing, and then it ceases. So you can actually realize the cessation of something that before was 
had arisen and you and you know and had this effect and you 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 can you can realize it's the the cessation of it it's it's real the reality of a condition is it ceases and when we recognize realize cessation then we we uh, we have that insight of non attachment we no longer searching for security and and that among things that are uh, in, insecure we're no longer just caught up kind of helpless victims of our conditioning just going to making the same mistakes going through the same things over and over again until we die we actually learning and, and seeing and knowing wisely uh, reflecting So on a Manga Puja day in the 1,250 Arahants, and then we, we can say, well, we're, you know, we're certainly not claiming to be Arahants, any of us. We're going to see the Buddha, who is, you know, Gotama the Buddha, you know, the, the great Buddha. We, we can celebrate, you know, that uh, that is a historical event, one way of looking at it. But this is language again, isn't it? The Buddha then becomes like the great being and that and that and that in terms of how we think it's an exalted state or an arahant, isn't it? It's a perfected one. That's very high up in terms of the way we think. And then my my thinking mind is arahant way up there. Putuchana. Is, you know, way down here, or way up there. That's how I think. And that's high, this is low. And, but in terms of, uh, and, and so when we, uh, just caught in the, in the vocabulary, in the language of Buddhism, then we still stuck with the, with the limitations of language, because it is, hierarchical, it's structured, you know, this is high, that's low, this is, this is, you know, this is better than that. Stages. Um, the unawakened, unenlightened being, the Bhattuchana, then there's the, the Sotapanna, the Thakatakami, Anakami, Arahant, that's the tops. Buddha above that. So we recognize that that's, that's just language, and but in notice in in the way the Bawadana is was pointed to the attachment to Bawadana as the cause of suffering. So, so this becoming isn't, you don't become an arahant. You know, that, that whole way of thinking doesn't work anymore. That, because that way of thinking is based on, from ignorance and worldly conditioning. So, 
that's where you can't believe the the uh, the the thinking mind or the 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 logic that we use in our interpreting uh, the suttas or the scriptural teaching. That's where we realize, you know, we're, we're noticing the way things are. This level of trust and, and sada in the present moment of just listening, relaxing into that state of, of just pure attention, resting in it, learning to trust in it, rather than be caught in the in your habit of trying to get something, trying to become something, trying to get rid of things. Because you see how much suffering you create through in meditation through the bhavadana, vipavadana, trying to become, get something you don't have or get rid of, 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 of your defilements. And then get rid of your these defilements, these hindrances, and get something else that you don't have yet. So the state of awareness is is timeless. It's not a matter of becoming, but of seeing things in the present, trusting in your in the simple ability to see things clearly in the present. So even. States like confusion, if total confusion and doubt can be seen clearly in the present. It's a, a intuition allows us to recognize this emotional confusion as that. It's, this is emotional confusion is like this. That's clear comprehension of the of what is. It's not judging it about that you shouldn't, that it's bad or you shouldn't be confused or something wrong with you for getting confused. It's just like this. So, say, confusion or doubt or all these kind of amorphous kind of uh, emotional states that we tend to resist and, and try to push out then are seen in terms of clear comprehension. They are what they are. And so you begin to trust more and more in that simple awakenness in the present. So I offer this as a reflection for this evening.